good. Well, thank you. Thank you for letting me be here today. Some of you I know. Some of you are faces that are a little unknown to me, and some of you look familiar, but I'm really, really, really glad to be here. It's a joy. I consider this as one of my, you know, we talk about foundational places where we have homes and that have helped create who we are and launched us into the next phase of our life. And I think Community Bible Church has been one of those places for me. So thank you so much. It makes me feel very tender as I look at faces and I recall the ways you've, you've poured into my life and hopefully the God, is, God has used me to pour into yours as well. So it's a mutuality that is really agreeable and really sweet and it just gives picture to the kingdom of God, how we give our best and we receive each other's best. And the outcome is the, res the resulting outcome is the church of Christ being built up, the word of God being passed out amongst the people out there. I was so excited to hear about that uh, Austining Fair that y'all attended in. Pat, remember the year we did it? <laughs> Me and Pat out there in the sun, we had a blast. But anyway, that was a long time ago. So anyway, it's good news, great news. So I brought my water. So let's begin. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Is this in the right place? If I lower it, would that be okay? Because it's kind of blocking my view. Oh, I can see you now. <laughs> there you are. Okay, let's pray and then we'll carry on. Loving God, I take this uh, moment very seriously. Because it's at this moment, at this time, that you have called me to share your love with these people. And it makes me quite nervous, actually. It makes me wonder if you've got the right glasses on as you looked out over the world. But nevertheless, here I am. And so I trust myself to you. And I trust you more than I trust myself. So take these words that I've prepared from your scriptures and from my heart and life and from other people that I've read who are smarter than me. And Lord, translate them into words that your people can hear and understand. We are all eager to hear your voice of love this morning. So let our hearts be ready, our ears be open. Feed us with your, the feast of your word. We pray these things together. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Um, just a brief moment about me. <laughs> As I mentioned, I used to come, go to church here, my husband and I, till this is 22. We moved in 2015. We moved up state a little bit. We live in Ulster County, and we bought um, two acres, 18-something, uh, 70-something farmhouse with two acres, and we bought it, but now it owns us. And so we're constantly gardening and working, and uh, we used to go for little day trips, but no time for that anymore. We got a garden, got a weed. But anyway, we still love it. We have fun. And um, many of you have been there and visited us, which we really have enjoyed. And, um, and over the course of that time, I was diagnosed again with cancer. And so I've been in treatment for cancer since, well, actually since 2015, the very summer I left here, I was diagnosed with uterine cancer. So I've had surgeries, radiation, immunotherapy, pills, you name it. And I'm still... Um, so far, my cancer is holding. It's not advancing, which I'm really thankful for. God is good, and your prayers have helped make that happen. Thank you. And, um, I mean, I still suffer some of the effects of the treatment, which is 
not much fun, but I'm alive, <laughs> so that's good news. And so I appreciate you um, being part of the, the people who carry my pallet and lower it at Jesus' feet so Jesus can touch me and heal me. And I just really rely upon your prayers to help continue make that happen. So end of my sponsored moment, you know, <laughs> and a word from your sponsor. So anyway, we're going to be talking this morning about what um, Anna so well read so well from um, the First Corinthians 3. It was good to hear you. What vision was that? Do you remember? Living Bible. It made it really open, didn't it? It's much more um, accessible than my good old NRSV. So it was good to hear in, with fresh, fresh words. Thank you. And um, I kind of feel a little bit, excuse me, a little bit like Paul. Because I, I listened to Dick's sermons um, before I was preparing for today's sermon. And I listened to Dick kind of say the same thing, basically, about three or four times, right? You know, and which you're like Paul, and I kind of feel like I'm like Paul too. I don't have anything new to say. I just have to say the same thing over again, and I'm in good company when I do that because I'm with the Apostle Paul and with Dick, you know, so <laughs> I can't complain about that. But um, it, it's, it's obvious that Paul really, really wants to make a point to these people he loves because he's still on the same old thing you heard Dick preach three times in a row about how, it's not fancy words. It's not who you belong to. It's not relationships that are externally applied or knowing the right theology or any of those kind of things that make you right with God. The foundation of your life with Christ is Christ crucified out of love. That's the bottom line. So I'm going to say that again today. <laughs> but I'm going to try to say it in a little bit different, uh, from a little bit of different angle. So... Bear with me and just be prepared to hear something new, even in some old words. So um, so thank you, Dick, for those sermons, because you made very clear Paul's message. And, um, and I wrote it down exactly what you said, because I thought it was a great description, except I did change one little phrase. Paul's message to the Corinthians was, the scandalous cross is sufficient for our salvation. The scandalous cross. It would make no sense in the rest of the world. It would be a shame to the rest of the world. But in God's wisdom, the scandalous cross is sufficient for our salvation. And Paul brought this good news without elegant words. He, he makes that very clear. Without complex philosophies, which we know Paul can be pretty complex and make a lot of, have a lot of words. But he left those aside at this point because he just wanted to preach the gospel, Jesus Christ, and him crucified, that the power of, of the wisdom of God relies in the self-giving, sacrificial love of God. That, if you want to see what God's like, Jesus said, look at me. And when we do look at Jesus, we see him pouring out his life for the ones he loved. That is the good news. That's the foundation on which Paul wanted them to build their life and us to build our lives. And so it gets... Once we have that foundation, it makes our life a little bit more stable. But we at our house, I don't know if they have um, woodchucks in Westchester County, but we have a lot of woodchucks, and they found their way into the foundation, under the foundation of our house, and they kind of made their little homes down in there. And so the foundation is, was solid, but it's easy to get little cracks in that foundation and let other things get in there and kind of 
mess up your equilibrium. So Paul wants to keep reminding them, and I want to keep reminding us, that it's not, um, that, that what, is, what does count is what God has done for us through Christ. And it's not necessarily about our relationship with God as we perceive it, but it's more about how God sees us. That is what makes the difference, because he sees all people equally loved, but he recognizes that we have returned to that love. And that is the nature of the foundation on which we stand. That God loves all. God loves everybody equally. But lucky me. I don't know if lucky is the right word. But I heard the call and I joined Jesus on that mountain when he called those disciples up. And now I have the privilege of becoming part of God's family and being part of God's mission to the world. As are you. So Paul wants to make that clear and I'm making that clear also, so in chapter, moving on, whoa, moving on to chapter three, which is the um, few ch verses I was assigned. In chapter three, and Paul describes two types of people. He describes those who are spiritual. He also calls them mature. And he describes those who are of the flesh, who he calls infants. The first are fed by milk, or excuse me, by solid food, the spiritual ones, the mature ones. Paul says, I could feed them solid milk, but I couldn't feed you because you're babies, you're infants. I had to feed you milk still because you couldn't digest the more complex, lofty things of the, of the mysteries of God. So these, um, these Corinthians that he's writing to and that he loves, they've been born again, right? You know, so he, he can give witness to that, and they would also give testimony to that. But um, they remain very infantile, and as evidenced by their quarreling and their jealousy and their belonging to particular parties and elevating themselves and their particular preferences over others. They were kind of saying, I got it right, you got it wrong, in some ways, you know, like uh, that. So um, what, the way I think of them, what, the way I interpret what they're doing is that they are adding on to the foundation that Paul built in them by applying external validations to their experience. Well, I study under Paul, and Paul, everybody knows Paul is the best teacher. And so therefore, I must be really spiritual and really great. And you studied under Apollos, you know. I'm not so sure if that's as good as Paul, you know, whatever. And uh, so they're kind of looking outside of Jesus to depend, to kind of validate their own spiritual experience and their own spiritual maturity. And I, I, <laughs> I kind of do that. I, I was thinking about this as I was driving over here. Um, well, I'm not going to say that. I was just, if it comes up, Holy Spirit, if it's good, bring it back. But I'm going to let it go because it's not on my notes. Um, so anyway, these Corinthians were basically just infants. In spiritually speaking. And there's nothing wrong with being an infant, you know. Um, I bet everybody here was an infant once, right? Yeah? Some of us remain a little bit infantile, but, um, but you know, babies are cute. We love babies, you know. Um, we take turns fighting over who gets to hold them next, you know. So they're a great thing. And, um, but if you remain infantile, your life can be diminished and your life can even be threatened. So there needs to come a way in which we can grow. We can mature. Whatever form that takes, whatever that looks like with our life and our circumstances and our health issues, etc. 
there's always a maturing that's taking place as we, as we grow and as we mature. So we need to keep choosing to add on to the foundation of our um, infantile-like learning, if you, if you will. I'd like to read you a quote. I think I gave it to the um, person. Yes. This is um, written, this is a quote from a Jesuit priest. His name is Anthony DeMello. And he died like in the 50s, I think. He was a Jesuit priest. He was Indian born and raised. Um, and he was a psychotherapist as well. And he wrote, he, he, write, he left behind a lot of those little cones, you know, K-O-A-N, those little mystical stains that are like parables and they don't really make sense. And you kind of go, what the heck? And you have to chew on them for a while to, before you can kind of get their meaning. Well, this is one of his. He says... The explorer returned to his people who were eager to know about the Amazon. But how could he ever put into words the feelings that flooded his heart when he saw exotic flowers and heard the night sounds of the forest, when he sensed the danger of wild beasts or paddled his canoe over treacherous rapids? He said to those people, go find out for yourselves. To guide them, he drew a map of the river and they pounced upon the map they framed it in their town hall. They made copies of it for themselves. And all who had a copy considered themselves experts on the river. For did they not know its every turn and bend, how broad it was, and how deep where the rapids were and where the falls? That's a good thing to think about, spiritually speaking. Are we people who have a map on our wall so we can kind of point out the bins and turns of the Amazon? Or are we people who would actually go there and smell the flowers and hear the wild animals to experience them, them the, experience those things ourselves? I think Paul is trying to encourage us to not just be a, uh, what's that called? When you watch football and you coach it afterwards? No. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Where you sit on the couch and you call the plays and you, you know everything about it because you, you watch all the games and all that, but you've never played. You, know, you, just, you just think you know it and you consume yourself with knowing it without actually experiencing it. Paul wants us to be experts on the river by experiencing the river, not just reading about it, just, not just knowing ideas about it. Paul wants you and me to be people who take that map and not just put it on our walls, but fold it up and put it in our backpack and go out into the Amazon and explore it ourselves. He wants us to grow up. Babies, look at the map. Adults, go explore it. So Paul's encouraging us to go explore the Amazon, if you will. So, um, but in order to do that, the Corinthians and you and me need to master the milk that's given us to, to digest. And now I found this interesting. I looked this up. Um, how you can tell when a baby's ready for solid food. Those of you who have babies or have raised children know this intuitively, but Wikipedia tells me exactly what, it, what, what to look for. <laughs> First of all, the babies are ready for solid food when their tongue thrust diminishes. So babies are born with this reflex where their tongue's always sticking out looking for nourishment, looking for a source. And when they find it, they latch onto it. And when they latch onto it with their tongue, closes the space so that only liquid can get through so they can't choke. So they, they, their tongue shuts their mouth so only the, the sweetness of the milk or the supplement can get in because their bodies are not yet ready to in, digest and process 
more solid food. So when, a when you notice that a baby is not sticking out her, her tongue as much as she once was, it's likely that maybe she's ready to move on to solid, uh, more solid food. So that's one indicator. The second is they can hold their head upright without assistance. Can't you see trying to feed your baby and she'll, you know, she would choke again. You know, it, it would be dangerous. So when you notice that your baby can hold their head up unassisted, that's a sign maybe your baby's going to be ready for solid food one of these days, soon. And then the third one, which I think was kind of fun, is that they show interest in food. Like if, if you, they follow your spoon you know, as you're taking it to your mouth, or they reach for it, or they're interested in it, and you let them smell it, and they, and they kind of show an interest in it. So those are the three indicators that a physical baby might be ready for solid food. Well, and spiritually speaking, I think those three um, indicators are also clues for us about how we can focus on getting ourselves ready, if you will, for solid food. So spiritually speaking, you and I are ready for, so for solid food when we've ingested the milk of the gospel, when we've clasped on to the milk of the gospel and we cling to it like a baby does its mother's breast when we know it's the source, when there's nothing else that's going to satisfy us, that we know this is the answer, that, where we know that all our needs are going to be met in this one confined space, when we are convinced that it is God's great love for us as proven by Christ in the cross that is, allows us to be born and keeps us alive, that's our, our salvation eternally and our salvation daily. When we got that, when when we're sure about that, we're ready to move on a little bit. Um, uh, that's because this foundation milk has built within us. Um, oh, I already said that. And so, um, but what it basically convinces us of is that um, you know your identity is founded on God's love for you. That's who you are. You're God's beloved. And you know that you're not perfect. You know that you still have sin that riles up in your life. So you know you're loved. You know you're not perfect. And you know God still chooses you and delights over you. That's the essence of this foundation, this milk that, that we are being fed, that Paul feeds us. And interestingly, I think we never outgrow the need for that milk. We need to keep returning. Like, remember in the psalm where um, Paul, I think it's Psalm 34, where he says, my heart is quieted. I'm like a weaned child on, her, on its mother's breast. It's no longer, you don't, the baby doesn't need the milk any longer, but the baby needs the connection. And the baby needs to know its identity as the mother's child and as the mother's beloved. So it is with us. We always need to remember whose we are. And, and why we are the one we, why we are whose we are. So, as a um, as you mature spiritually, like a baby grows physically, you're going to develop muscles, muscles that can hold your head up. You know, just like a baby can hold his up, his head up. A baby holds its head up, and in doing so, is defying gravity. You know, his muscles are stronger than the pull of gravity. He's mastered gravity. He's, he's got it down. And you and I also have some defying that we do in order to, defy, to hold our heads up straight and assisted. And that form, and this is how I take that, 
the form of that um, defiance we take is against the enemy of our souls. The enemy of our souls who will try to convince us that we're not valuable enough or we're not worthy of it, of, the, of being loved, or that we're fill in the blank, <laughs> dumb, stupid, ugly, whatever it may be. We're sinners. We're, we're unrighteous. We don't deserve God's goodness or God's grace. The enemy will try to lower our head down in shame. And grace, God's kindness, will lift our heads up. So we have, when we get to the place where we can say, yes, enemy of my soul, it's true. You're right. I do screw up. I am a sinner. I do make mistakes. I often willfully make mistakes, but that doesn't change the fact of who I am. God's not surprised by any of those things. God still knows me. God still loves me. God still chooses me. God is working on me, and we're in this together. So I can hold my head up high, just like that baby can. And I can eat those smashed peas, just like my granddaughter Eliza used to love to eat when she was a little girl. So um, we're, we're, we're ready for, getting ready for spiritual um, food at that, or excuse me, solid food at that, that point. Oh, there's another a little cone from Anthony DeMello that I'm just going to say, tell you. I didn't write it out on the thing. But a gentleman comes to his son's door, and he knocks on the son's door. He goes, son, it's time to get up. And the son goes, Papa, I don't want to get up. And the dad, dad goes, son, you have to get up. And the son goes, I don't want to get up. And the son says, father, the father says, son, you have to get up and go to school. I don't want to go to school. I have three reasons why I don't want to go to school. And so he goes, father says, okay, well, what are those reasons? He goes, school's so dull. And two, the kids tease me and pick on me. And third, I hate school. Blanket over his head. He doesn't want to go to school. And the father says back to him, did I tell you his name was Jamie, the kid? I can't remember. But anyway, he says back to his kid. He goes, you have to go to school, and I'll give you three reasons why you must go to school. One, it's your duty. Two, you're 45 years old. And three, you're the headmaster of the school. And I kind of feel like sometimes I'm in that place. You know, like I know I should. I know I could. I know I have the power to stand up straight, say no to the enemy, make the good choice. But... Uh, do I have to? I don't want to. But grace and, and remembering that foundation on which we're built gives us the strength to defy the gravity that would pull us down and gives us the courage to get out of bed and walk, face those kids who tease us. And I know the world bullies us. I know the world really, really kind of knocks us about. But grace strengthens us and informs us and gives us the daily strength to walk the life we've been given to walk. So... Can you tell? My voice is a little cracked here. Oh, and then here's the third thing. Back to the third thing. Uh, when babies, you know they're ready for food when they start showing interest in other food, in food that's around the table. And when you find your interest broadening beyond just the diet of milk, when you want to explore a variety of spiritual concepts or ideas or theology, um, things that are proposed, um, when you're, when you're curious about it and you want to go after it, that's a sign that the milk has done its job. The milk has matured you to such a place where you know you stand on solid ground and you can begin to explore some of those mysterious aspects of God, things that don't make any sense. The mysteries of Christ, the hidden secrets of God, 
And you can do that because you know who you are and whose you are. And so you can dare to in, engage with um, black, instead of things being black and white, you can dare to engage in gray. That is the kind of the solid food that is yours to enjoy. So now that we've figured out what, what we can eat and why we want to eat it and how we can eat it, uh, Paul, back in the letter, uh, once again underscores the reality he's trying to make clear. And that is, um, okay, here's the deal. Again, not new. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. And we all are servants. We have a common purpose, and that's to tend God's field and to care for God's building. And that's you and me. We are God's field. We are God's building. God gives us each other and teachers and books and saints who have gone before us to help add to the foundation that has been built in our lives of Christ and Christ crucified. And, but it's our job now to kind of let other people give us the additional food we can use to continue to grow. And um, as Dick shared, one of the points of this letter, Paul's writing, is to straighten out the theology of the Corinthians. He does so by beginning to tell them the truth about who, who they really are and what they what they have at their um, hand, what they have in their hand. Um, so in chapter 1, I'm just going to back up a little bit to chapter 1 because Paul gives the Corinthians five things that help them see who they can be, who they have, are called to be, what gifts are theirs to receive and to give away. When he says to them, this is my paraphrase, but in chapter 1 of Corinthians, Paul tells them, first of all, you belong to God. You are not Paul's, you are not Apollos's, you are not CBC's, or you're not a Methodist. You are not even your own. You are God's, and you are God's children. That's what defines you. That's who you are. So I can dare to explore the world because I know in whose family I belong. I belong to God. I am safe in God's, God's embrace and God's care. Second, Paul tells the Corinthians, you're made holy because of Christ's work and because you've been adopted into God's family. So once you were an orphan, now you're a co-heir with Christ. You know that in the prodigal story, the father goes to the older son who was kind of bitter and kind of angry because he stayed home and was faithful and his brother got to go out and party all the time. And, um, and the father says to the oldest son, and I just love this, he says, son, all I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. You go out and party, you stay here, it's all yours. And I just love that, that all God has, he wants to share with me, that it's mine. And I'm going to screw up like the prodigal runaway brother, and I'm going to stay home and bitterly do my duty. <laughs> Either way, we're welcome home in the Father's arms, and we have been given all that the Father has. We are co-heirs. We are part of that family. That's, a, that's gold, you know, to, to think about that. And then finally, or excuse me, in number three, not only are you adopted into the family, but now you have the power to live this life, this holy life, a life just like Christ's life. You have the power to do that. Because if you're adopted into the family and you're connected to the vine, as Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Um, when you're connected to the vine, you're not going to produce apples. You're going to produce grapes because you're living 
off of the nourishment and the DNA and all the stuff that makes grapes grapes. You are going to have the life that looks like Jesus's because you're connected to him. And the fourth thing Paul reminds them of, and this is a really wonderful one, I think. He basically says, you're loaded. Don't worry, you're loaded. You're enriched in every way. Everything you need is already in you. And I think about the diamonds under, um, the diamond mines under the, the ground that is now the country of Botswana. You know, there's diamonds under there. All you have to do is unearth them, polish them, you know, cut them up and shine them up. And they, they make them millionaires or people steal them from them and those people become millionaires. But anyway, the point is that underneath each of us, inside of us, are diamonds ready to be unearthed. That's who we are. And we can cooperate with the Spirit in helping kind of unearth some of that, those precious stones that are already within us. And then finally, Paul reminds them, and I remind us, that we are the body of Christ, and we lack no spiritual gift. I don't have them all in me, but I have you. And we need each other. We have nothing that we're going to need we have nothing outside of us that we're going to need to live the godly life, to live a powerful life, a life full of grace and truth and love, and we're going to, our lives will look like Christ because when I'm impatient and don't have the energy to do Sunday school this week, somebody else will. You know? So we're in it together. And I, I like that um, I, last week, was it last week was Pentecost Sunday? Yeah. And I, uh, I like how at the beginning when Jesus was ascended, he told the disciples, stay where you are and trust. Don't run out, try to figure it out. Stay together and wait on the Spirit. And so we need, until Jesus Christ is revealed fully, we need to stay together and wait on the Spirit. We need to trust each other and live life together until the Spirit comes. And then we'll, all of our beauty will be revealed and it'll be lovely. Okay, so the, cre the key to growing spiritually is to remember who you are. You're not Paul's, you're not Apollos's, neither of them were crucified for you, were they? You're not Dick, you're not me, none of you were baptized in our names, were you? We didn't send the Spirit to live inside you and teach you how to live. All those things were Jesus. That's who we are and who, to whom we belong. And so we should not rely on external associations or credentials to be the source of our identity because external things change. We all know that. Things flutter, things change, things move. They're going to disappoint us. So what we need to keep tied to Keep, what we need to keep ourselves tied to and built upon is the foundation that we belong to the loving Christ who gives himself so that we can have salvation eternally and salvation today. So friends, that's who you are. That's who you are. You are God's beloved chosen child. Period. Nothing, don't need to add anything to that. Everything else is icing on the cake, as they say. Um, so, But our job now is to act like it, to uh, live from it, to believe it. I know um, some of you who know me better know that I'm quite an introvert, 
and I basically kind of hate social settings, like fellowship hours, uh, birthday parties, you know, especially cocktail parties where you have to make that little small talk with people, you know, oh, torture. So what I, I've come up with a way to make it work for me. What I do is when I go to a party like that, I pretend like I'm the hostess. And what would a, host, a good hostess do? A good hostess would go around and say, hey, I haven't met you yet. How are you, who, who do you know here? Have you got a drink? Can I help you with anything? So I kind of put myself in this role of acting like someone who likes these parties, who does the appropriate things at these parties. And I always end up having a good time and meeting new people. But it's just like I have to believe that it's okay for me to be that way and to believe that it would be a good thing. I'm not... I'm not, not being who I am. I do care about you, and I would like to make you comfortable and make sure you have your drink filled and make sure that you have, you know, you get to know other people. But that's just my nature is so introverted. I would never purposefully do that. So I have to kind of put on a little extroverted robe to carry that job out. And it works. <laughs> you know, it pays off. So there's a little secret. Next time you see me at a party, you go, I know what's going on here. But try it. Try it. If it introverts, if you're like me, try it. It works. So we have everything we need. Now all we need to do is to grow into it. Uh, and I have a dear friend, Cindy, who's having, a, or just recently had a baby, sort of. Long story. Anyway, I'm, I made her this, she had two other babies, and they were all too small for her babies. So I made this baby a dress that's probably about, she, the baby won't even be able to fit into till she's probably two or three. It's, you know, this big. <laughs> And um, so I told Cindy when I purposefully made that dress, I said, she's going to have dreams that are much bigger than her. And she's going to grow into them. So this dress is a picture of who she's going to become. Whenever you see this dress, you, you know, you're going to put it away in a drawer for a couple years. But keep it, keep it out. Look at it every so often and pray that your baby girl will grow into all she's meant to be, all you hope her to be, all she expects to be, all that would bring God glory by growing into this little dress. So that's who we are. We got a big dress to grow into, and so now we just have to keep doing it. Um, so, uh, so we're on the path now, and I do want to just make one final note. Um, Paul, basically that's who Paul told us we are, and then he explains to us who he is. He explains that he is called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's the master builder. He, Paul, has been placed in their lives with the skills and the expertise to oversee the construction of their, of their spiritual life. And in preaching the gospel, he laid the foundation for it. Now others can add their mortar and bricks to the building that is you. So and that's, it. that's what we do. We're given to one another, I think, to add mortar and bricks to each other's lives, to build each other in love, to encourage one another, to equip each other, to correct each other. Those are little building blocks that we give one another, that our teachers give us, that books we read apply to us, as long as they're all based on Jesus, basically. <laughs> that's the only ground, ground rule. But um, this is who the community of Christ is, the ones who are commissioned to do this for one another. But Paul does give us a warning about taking up this task. He says to be careful about it and to take heed as you undertake this, uh, this role that you've been given. And, and he encourages us, I think, to use the best we got, to use the best we are. 
Not that we're perfect, you know, we're not perfect. I think of David when he went out and took on Goliath. Remember Saul tried to give David his, his armor? And they, I, I have this comical picture in my mind of David kind of walking around in this big Saul and tripping over it and the hat kind of going like this so he couldn't really see where he was going. So all, for David to do his job in that spiritual moment was to just use what he knew, what was comfortable, what was familiar with him. He had a sling and a stone. He knew how to use it. He relied on that. He got the job done. That's us. We use what we have right here, right now. We trust it's going to do the job God has assigned us to do. It's not going to, I mean, I'm sure as David matured and became a soldier, he, took, he wore armor and used soldiers' weapons. But they didn't work for him at that time. He didn't need them at, time, at that time. When we need them, God will provide them. So our job is to just be available and ready. And I just, when Anna was reading it, I thought about how the wood and the stubble and the hay burns up. Well, that's okay. You know, I mean, I'm not, everything I do is not going to last forever, but it might provide fuel for gold to be, um, other gold to be burnished, heightened, goldened, made more golden, dross to be removed. So it's okay. If I just put out there and it's wood, God's going to use that wood to burn to increase the gold, the beauty of the gold. So I, I feel my job is just to do my best and trust God with it, and that's our job. In, in the life of one another. Now, um, I have one more quote, I think. Oh, do you have it? Thank you. Um, quote number two. In order for a person to desire to live the life of an apprentice, to, in, order for a per- in order for a person to desire to live the life of an apprentice of Jesus, he or she will need to be able to envision a life that is attractive and doable. That is why, underscore, that is why one of the church's primary works of spiritual formation is to correct a person's identity. People suffer from a whole set of identities, and we must not add another onto their load. I, I know a story. Um, decades ago, I heard the teacher of the year at, at that year, his, his name was Guy Dowd. This was like, I don't want to tell you because this <laughs> shows how old I am. Um, it was decades, okay, that's, that's old enough. And he um, said, he, he was a keynote speaker at a com- convention I was at, and he said it wasn't until he got into kindergarten till he learned he was fat and clumsy and ugly. Before that, he only knew what his family had told him, that he was fun and loved and he had a really good sense of humor and he knew how to draw well he, that's who he was until he entered a new environment and that world started giving him identities that he didn't match up with the families that were the family images that he had received at home. And I think that's what our job as a church is to help unload all the false identities that we've acquired or we've um, have, have laid on us because other people have needed us to do that or be that. Our job is to help us go back to that beloved clever, good at art, humorous kid that we were created to be. That's the church's job, to help us know our true identity. And the quote goes on to say, instead we must help them gain the identity of being God's beloved child. And then equip them to live the whole of their life from this singular identity. 
the possibility of knowing yourself as, as loved, accepted, and useful in the kingdom of God is a vision worth pursuing, period. I quoted myself on that one. I, I, when I was taking a class from Dallas Willard, I wrote an um, essay on how the church can aid in spiritual formation in creating disciples. So if you want to look at the whole article, I put the reference down there on the bottom if you're interested in that. Fucking my nose on the microphone. So bottom line, the foundation that you are built on is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything else grows from there. And I want to say to you once again, you are God's beloved and chosen child. That's who you are. Don't let anybody rock your foundation because that's the truth. So let's pray about that with that. Loving God, we thank you so much that no matter what labels the world puts on us or we put on ourselves, you have already labeled us as your chosen and beloved child. Take that world. Take that, the enemy of our souls, who will try to convince us that we're not. Almost, we can almost say, talk to the hand, because I don't belong to me. I belong to God. And God says, I am beloved, and I am delightful, and I am part of the family of Christ. But you have to call me falls back on you. Lord, help us to remember that truth. We need it so deeply, deeply embedded in our hearts and our minds. Thank you for the privilege of being yours. We pray together in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. <laughs>